A note to the reader. As those who are regular readers of the accounts I put forth regarding my friend Sherlock Holmes know, I sometimes need to rely on second-hand accounts when I'm not a witness to particular events. To make sense of the little epistle I'm about to pen, I must acknowledge two separate accounts for which I was not present. However, after having consulted both parties, I have been given permission to tell their accounts within the story with my usual literary embellishments to make the story more palatable. Thank you, Dr. John H. Watson. Chapter 1 While the year 1896 was not a particularly eventful year regarding cases in which to showcase my friend Sherlock Holmes' remarkable abilities, it was a somberly dynamic year, nonetheless. In the ten months or so between the particulars surrounding the Bruce Partington plans in November of 95, through the mystery Holmes cleared up in the Veiled Lodger in September of 96, very little took place in the life of the restless borders of 221B Baker Street. The monumental volume of crimes typical in a city of this size, especially those of which Holmes was especially astute in solving, seemed to have been chiseled down to a bric-a-brac of the sort that Holmes would never stoop to waste his intellect on. Things looked bleak. That is, until a Miss Anne Merrick walked into our digs. It was the 26th of June, 1896, a warm and breezy Friday. Sherlock Holmes was staring languidly at the wall, chewing on his spent pipe, while I scoured the papers for any trifle worth mentioning to him. It seems that Mr. and Mrs. Templeton and Poplar have somehow misplaced a few of their skyperkies, I said aloud to bring Holmes out of his melancholy. Excuse me, he replied dryly. Skyperkies, they are dogs. The Templetons are breeders. He sighed and turned a twisted brow to me. I know what shipperks are, Watson. Well, what do you think? I asked. About what? Finding them. They are offering a fairly sizable reward. Several dogs are missing. Holmes turned defiantly, taking the pipe from his mouth. Watson, do you honestly think I would waste my time traipsing the countryside, looking for what amounts to be a pack of primped and pampered black rats? The fact that they are offering a reward is inconsequential. I need stimuli. Not compensation. Putting the paper down, I faced him directly. Wouldn't that be better than just wasting our afternoon caged in this den of filth and smoke you've created? If nothing else, it will get us outside into the fresh air. Holmes said nothing, which relayed to me his utter disinterest. He only straightened his lean frame from the chair and retrieved a box next to the mantel. This the detective placed on his lap when reseated and began pulling out locks of different shapes and sizes. Once a lock was within his grasp, he tinkered with the locking mechanisms of each with a personally fashioned tool he had retrieved from the stand next to his chair. Within several seconds of manipulating the small tool inside each lock, they would pop open and he would toss it over his shoulder, ending in a loud thud upon the wooden floor at his back. He then repeated the same action with each subsequent lock. Within ten minutes, fifteen open locks lay haphazardly along the floor behind the man. I was about to remonstrate him on the metallic minefield he had created across our flooring when there came a knock at the door. "'Yes, Mrs. Hudson,' said Sherlock Holmes as he put his little tool in the pocket of his frock coat. Mrs. Hudson entered the room with a tall young lady in tow. "'A Mrs. Anne Merrick with some urgent business, and may I say, whatever it is she needs your assistance with, please take it.' 
The confounded noises and awful smells coming from this room will be the death of me. Ignoring Mrs. Hudson's remark, Holmes rose and, regarding the young lady, gestured to his seat. Please, sit here, and tell me what has brought you to our humble abode. Mrs. Merrick bowed slightly and gave Holmes what I surmised a flirtatious smile as she took the seat that Holmes offered. Holmes flashed a quick, uncomfortable one of his own, of the variety one would see from a canine flashing a toothy grin when its owner is taught it to smile on command. Mrs. Hudson, would you be so kind as to make us some tea? he then offered. The woman fidgeted uncomfortably on the cushion, then replied, No tea for me, thank you. I am hurried. I wish to tell you my plight in hopes of gaining your services and return to Swansea as soon as possible. No tea, then? Mrs. Hudson asked. None for our guest, but I still require a sip or two, if you please. As a great person once said, I thirst. <laughs>